The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am so excited for the show this week. You should know that this show is so important to me that there is only one thing in this world that could have pulled me away from my television while my Miami Heat are currently in Game 2 of the conference semifinals. And it is this show talking to all of you because empowering indie creators is always my number one priority. That being said, Producer Lauren, if you ever want to just put um, a score update in the bottom of the uh, window here to let me know how Heat Sixers is going, I wouldn't be upset with you about it. If you want to just you know, give us some random updates throughout the show, wouldn't uh, wouldn't be too upset. I think they're up by about 15 right now. So we're sitting pretty sitting pretty here, Heat fans. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our co-host. Happy to talk to him. It's been too long since we've had Zach Sloan on the program. Hey, Zach. What's up, Ryan? It's good to not be sick this month. Sorry I missed last month. Um, we you know. are thrilled that you have uh, convalesced, man. I, I miss my Zach Sloan time. This is uh, It's good to see you. It's good to see the studio again, your, your domain where you make beautiful music happen. That's one way to put it. But enough about me. Let's talk about Prince. Did you know that Prince one time during a concert had one of his assistants hold a Bulls game score up on the side of the stage and with the dryer on a dry erase board, updating the score as the the show went on so he could keep track of like the Bulls Warriors or whatever. So there's precedent for my ridiculous right now. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if if Prince can do it, I think you're good to go, man. And if you're keeping score at home, that is the only thing. That Ryan Carella has in common with Prince, that is, that is the uh, the extent of, of uh, his greatness versus my greatness. But, but yeah, I I want to make sure that my my Heat stay competitive. I got I got like uh, you know one one brain cell still focused on the game, but the rest of me is right here, ready to empower indie creators. And you're just the man I want to talk to, Zach Sloan, because. Ever since I saw one particular tweet that has flashed across my timeline and the timeline of every indie creator in the universe, all I could think was I need to get Zach Sloan's perspective on this. So, Lauren, could you put this up for me? This is a tweet that, I mean, if you're any kind of indie creator, you have seen this tweet all over your timeline just retweeted repeatedly. So this is a a tweet from the band Wednesday that basically lists an itemized budget of their recent tour of Texas that they did while they were at South by Southwest. They are performing at South by Southwest. So while we're here, we're going to tour around the area, play some gigs, uh, get a place to stay, you know, do some venues, and hopefully turn a nice, healthy profit. And what the tweet shows you is that, as is often the, me- the case for many touring musicians, when you're first starting out or as an indie creator and you're playing these small venue gigs, it's hard, to- it's hard if not impossible, to turn a profit. The money you make from those gigs get- gets eaten up by everything here on this list that you need to, to run a tour, gas and, uh, you know, living expenses and food and, and everything else. And so, you know, this band played a few gigs around the Dallas area and uh, wound up making negative uh, $98, it looks like, for their, you know, three or four shows worth of work in that area. And rather than react, because I think the, the tweet was one thing, but what really made this go viral was people's reaction to it. Because rather than people saying man, it's really hard for indie creators out there. Or, man, why didn't South by Southwest pay this artist to play at South by Southwest to help them make ends meet if they care about creators? Or just any of those things, to be sympathetic to the creator. Instead, we get a thousand replies to this tweet where everybody shits on the band for staying in an Airbnb. The, the common, you know, to, while they were on tour, and what, uh, every, what people kept saying back to them in reply after reply was sleep in the van, sleep in the van, sleep in the van over and over again. 
Zach, as a as an artist, as a touring musician, someone who's played his fair share of live gigs, can you explain to the viewers and listeners out there why a band can't sleep in the van? Well, you have gear. You have, I think, believe they're a five-piece band, so you've got, or maybe three, whatever. If you have more than two people, it's, hell, if you have one person, it's rough. You have gear. It is, in Texas can be, because I've, I've done this in Texas. I've toured around Texas. By the way, much love to Texas. I think Texas is one of the great music states we got. Um, I'm so thrilled I came up there as a musician. But, like, if you're playing around the Austin area, like South by Southwest, you ain't getting paid. Like, I love Austin. Um, they don't pay. Because there's so many bands that will do a gig for free or a case of beer that it's impossible to make money for most people. So, typically what you want to default to is sleeping at places of people you know. That's not always the case. If these people don't know people where they're at, it's not necessarily safe to just be like showing up at random people's house. Don't think that's a great idea. Sleeping in the van, bad idea. First of all, it's an easy way to get sick, and nothing kills a tour like getting sick on the road. That blows. Second, you're not going to get quality sleep. And anybody who's like, you should sleep in the van. Okay, fine. You get the worst four hours sleep of your life and then go drive eight hours. Tell me how safe that is. Right. You know, it wasn't that long ago where um, a metal band in Europe, right, like the driver fell asleep at the wheel and the van rolls off the highway and kills the band. That's this is not that's not the solution. All right. right. I mean, and the first the tweet I saw that just really just annoyed me to no end is they're like, why would you get a get a hotel because you ha- have to check in at one and leave by six a.m. to make it to your next next gig? I'm like, then you're not booking your tour right. <laughs> if you're only giving yourself that tiny window, then you need to you need to go get Ari Hurston's book, read about how far you should drive in a day on a tour, and book according to that so that you can actually get some sleep. Because nothing kills live performances like a lack of sleep. Singers don't sing as well, players don't play as well. You get sick, it sucks. So sleeping in the van is not the is not the solution that people want to act like it is. And for every tryhard out there who's like oh, I sleep in the van, fine, good for you. It's not doesn't make it the right solution. Right. Rant over. And also, like, I'm looking at the budget that this band put together here, and I look at, you know, they they have the line item here for the Airbnb. It says there $1,210 for an Airbnb for five days. Whoever booked that, uh, whoever was doing, like, the booking in their band, that person should receive a very shiny medal. How that person was able to find five nights in an Airbnb in Austin, during South by Southwest, that could fit five people for twelve hundred bucks is a freaking miracle worker. And so, like, if if that is the thing that, like, if if, if a twelve hundred dollar five night Airbnb is like what busted their budget, the problem isn't the cost of the Airbnb; yeah. it's how we're treating indie creators. It's you know, it's I think there is room for debate to talk about like if you don't if you're not able to make the money. To be careful how much you book, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's a kind of a separate discussion that's worth having. By the way, I think that's that's worthwhile. But I think a big problem is, especially as you get into East Texas, um, a lot of the venues like there is an attitude, and this is not just a Texas thing. Texas does music, like I said, live music better than most states. But a lot of places don't value the talent coming through, and they they frankly will exploit musicians because they know that they'll they'll take a loss to to get by. Um, and as producer Lauren has just put in our notes, that means that per night, each person was just spending $48 a night to sleep. That doesn't strike me as unreasonable right? to be safe. Um, and also as the band Wednesday put in their tweets or somebody responded, if you're sleeping in your van, you run the, run the risk of getting robbed or getting hit by a drunk driver. Those are all true things. Um, man, you know what, Lauren, you've made me reconsider my point already. $48 $48 a night is totally, totally reasonable. And if you can't make it on $48 a night sleeping, the industry's got a problem, yo. Yeah. And how about, like, we just, like, let's be on Team Indie Creator around here, all right? Like, we don't have, like, I know Twitter is just this cesspool where we just have to look, like, we're all just looking for the next opportunity to dunk on somebody. But how about with indie creators whose life is hard enough as it is, we give them a little grace. Like, even if you think that this, a budget at $48 per person per night for lodging is unconscionable. Maybe just keep your opinion to yourself. Don't crap on an indie band. How about that? Yeah. Uh, but Dude, how did they, they spent like, they saved some serious money on gas. Vans eat gas. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, dude. Good on them. It's a good when, budget. Wednesday, <laughs> you guys are doing a good job. I, I, I support you. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to your music after this. Cause 
I love you. Yeah, we love you, Wednesday. All right. To happier items, got a couple things that are uh, that are worth smiling about. First, our guest coming up in the next segment, one of my favorite people in the music biz, Bruce Warzniak is joining us, longtime awesome music manager and promoter and host of Now Hear This Entertainment, and the, the only entertainment industry music, indie music podcast that I know of that's been doing it longer than we have. And he's coming on to talk about uh, his work, talk about uh, advice for indie creators, and here's a topic that I think is interesting. It's always cool when a guest can come up with a topic that we've never covered on this show. But Bruce is currently promoting a new service that he has called the Interview Media Tips Course, which teaches artists how to be interviewed. Uh, to me, a very valuable skill. If you're a great interview, it's uh, it helps you get on more podcasts. It helps you build more connections. And it's not a natural skill. I'm actually the best example of this because even though I've interviewed hundreds of people on this program i am the period world's period worst period interviewee uh i mean i I still remember the very first time i was on another musician or another uh indie music podcast promoting my book back in 2015 they had to throw the interview out because i spent so much time answering the first question that the interviewer just gave up on the show like i i went on for 45 minutes didn't realize i was rambling and then, you know, they, they told me like months later, yeah, we had to junk your interview because it was a joke. So this is not a natural skill for a lot of people. I'm sure artists are better at it than I am. But being a good interview is a great way to give you lots of opportunities. So I'm glad we're going to have Bruce come on and talk about that with us. We'll learn a thing or two. And it's useful. Um, I love there's an indie radio station called Front Range Radio. I love listening to them. And the the host will interview bands and a bad interview will make me turn off listening to the, the 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 band's music the rest of like this is a really important skill and i think i think nobody is going to be worse for learning these things so i i think this is going to be really exciting yeah no doubt about it so as you can imagine zach already happy about that and as if that wasn't enough to put a smile on the face of our two hosts and the viewers and the listeners we got another pretty cool topic to talk about zach i got me some Eurovision fever. I cannot stop thinking about the Eurovision Song Contest, which is coming up uh, by as as we record this. It's just two Saturdays away. By the time people are podcasting this episode, it, it is the next coming Saturday. It is right around the corner. Eurovision is here, and I'm so so excited for it. I, I I've been sort of priding myself on being like one of the big Eurovision fans here in the states. And I feel like I've gotten you into it a little bit, Zach. You've been catching the fever, too. I came on your show two years ago. I remember this. And as a guest, and we talked about your Eurovision, and I was like, man, I've, I don't I don't know. I've never. And then last year, we talked, and I was like, I'll get into it. This year, I checked it out. And if you have not seen Norway's Give That Wolf a Banana, <laughs> you're miss, you, are, you are missing out on the best, like, four minutes of three. I think it's, like, exactly three minutes. Three minutes. It is pop perfection. It's hilarious. I wish we could play on the show, but we can't. It's so good. You have been going on about this, the Norway's entry, the Give a Wolf a Banana, which is just so Scandinavia for them to, like, put in for their country's entry into this song contest to be some, like, uh, wacky, crazy pop song. And I encourage people, go on YouTube, check this out right now. I think uh, Norway might be your country, but... For the people out there who are saying, what is the Eurovision Song Contest? Why are Ryan and Zach developing such an unhealthy obsession with it? We want to bring in an expert to tell you a little bit more about it. We're going to talk right now to Ross Barbersmith from the UK-based music media company Electric Kiwi, who's going to tell you a little bit about why you should be getting excited about Eurovision. Joining us now is one of my favorite people in the industry, the owner and designer of Electric Kiwi, a UK-based company that provides web design and other creative services for indie creators. I encourage you to check out www.electrickiwi.co.uk. Ross Barbersmith joining us here on Break the Business. Hi, Ross. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. One of the reasons why I enjoy talking to you, in addition to how knowledgeable you are about all things web design, and you know, I'm always uh, sending people over to your organization, things like that, is you are always a welcome site on my Twitter timeline for being 
my Eurovision correspondent. You're the person who helps me keep track on all things Eurovision. Even though I'm based here in the United States, I consider myself a Eurovision fan. It's on my calendar every year. I love it. And it's coming up Saturday, May 14th, the Eurovision Grand Final, 3 p.m. Eastern time uh, here in the States on the Peacock streaming service or whatever VPN you may have on your computer at any given time here in the U.S., And I love Eurovision. I know you are a monster Eurovision fan. And I want to have you on here to just give us Americans a reason to get excited about Eurovision. So to start us off, can you tell us what Eurovision is and why should Americans get excited about it? Sure. So Eurovision, as it's affectionately known, uh, is short for the Eurovision Song Contest. And basically, countries all around Europe and some a little further afield uh, will send a song to represent their country and they'll battle it out in a a loving, friendly way to see who Europe's favorite is. Um, And really it's it's probably the most spectacular four hours of television that you will see in your life. I mean, it's got absolutely everything, every genre of music, various languages, um, just something for everyone, honestly. I love the spectacle. It's probably the thing I love about it the most is it doesn't fall for a lot of the same things that make watching a lot of events in America so annoying where it's just, you know, like if this same thing happened in America, and I guess we had the American Song Contest, but we don't talk about that because it wasn't very exciting. But if this was in America, there would be a thousand commercials. There would be a bunch of speeches in between each song like they do the Oscars or the Grammys. But in the Eurovision Song Contest, commercial free song after song one after another and then you have the judging at the end with the votes and it's so dramatic and every country like displays their votes and you know you're tabulating the scores and it's just an amazing spectacle it's it is as close as you can get to perfect television in terms of how well this product is put together and the songs are fantastic if you love over-the-top pop music but also have a lot of different genre diversity there's so much to enjoy. I mean, just Scandinavia alone, I think, gives you so much genre diversity. You could have in the same con- song contest uh, a bunch of folks uh, in kitars, like doing like 80s pop. And then like the next Scandinavian band is doing like the most hor- horrifying death metal you've ever seen. And it's all wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Scandinavia, I mean, I would say two of the highlights, depending who you ask this year, come from Norway and Sweden. So Sweden is sending probably my favorite song this year. It's an emotional ballad sung by a singer with a really raspy, interesting voice, Cornelia Jacobs. I think she is one to watch. And then contrasting, their neighbors in Norway are sending two pairs of wolves from the moon, singing about feeding (laughs) wolves bananas. So, I mean, like I said, something for everyone. I love that stuff. I mean, to me, that's what makes Eurovision so wonderful is like it can be over the top, but... It's not, you know, like the mute, the songs are incredible. It's not like they're, you know, not bringing incredible artistry to the table. Like the songs are amazing. Uh, many of them you'll want to like listen to over and over uh, for a long time afterward. And the geopolitics is fun because you'd be like, oh, OK, I know why that country voted for that country because they're friends and that country hates that country. So they'll never vote for them. And there's a lot of that going on, which is really cool. I Uh, Let me just talk about the American Song Contest, because that finally debuted this year, and it was sort of our answer to Eurovision. We were going to take Eurovision, bring it here, and it was going to be all the states competing against each other. Each state was going to have its own song the same way that each country had its own song. And I was excited for it, because I'm a Eurovision Song Contest fan. I was like, yeah, let's bring it to America. And they did it this year, and it just, it didn't have the same magic. What what makes Eurovision so magical? I think... The thing with Eurovision is, you know, you've got the songs, obviously, but I think we've also got history, a lot of history, you know, within Europe. um, And that kind of feeds into it. Traditions and culture feeds into it. There's just, I don't know, I think that that's probably where the American Song Contest didn't quite succeed is that it's brand new. I mean, something in its first year is is always going to have some teething problems. And I think that's what we found with the American Song Contest. It was trying to find its feet. So I think give it another year or two, and fingers crossed, some of that will be smoothed over. But with Eurovision, there's just, I mean, it's so hard to put into words kind of how exciting and how fun it is. And I guess like here in the UK, one of the big traditions is people have Eurovision parties. So you'll invite people over on the Saturday night, you'll have some drinks, you'll have your scorecards, you'll rank each song yourself. You know, how many points out of 10 do you give the vocals, the song, the performance? all that kind of stuff. And you compare at the end of the night, it's like, oh, that's your first. 
no come on that's that's got to be sixth oh, or, ten, <laughs> or or even lower and you kind of you can make up things yourselves like you know if you can guess who gets last place maybe you win a prize who knows um but there's just so much tradition and, and stuff around it and i think many of us grew up watching it i remember my first contest was 96 and i wasn't old enough to stay up to watch the full thing so i recorded it on vhs uh, and watched it twice the following day because i loved it that much and i've just watched it through the years some people are new to it i think there's a new generation kind of coming in now um who maybe don't have the same perception of what eurovision is as some of maybe you know my generation and people slightly older than me who maybe think it's a little bit cheesy it's a bit tacky you know why am i going to watch that it's changed and honestly eurovision is it's cool now like it's there's something about it it's launching big names all over the world i mean most recently, Monoskin, they won for Italy last year, and they're now playing Coachella, sold out tours all over the world. Duncan Lawrence won for the Netherlands a few years ago. His song Arcade randomly started blowing up all over TikTok, and he's, I guess, arguably also a, a kind of household name now. So stars can be made. You have stars performing. I mean, I don't know how familiar you, you're, uh, how familiar you are with the Finnish band The Rasmus. Uh, big hit in 2003, In the Shadows. I mean, that was a worldwide hit, certainly here in the UK. That was massive. You couldn't get away from it. They're competing for Finland this year. The UK is represented by the biggest TikTok star in the UK, Sam Ryder, 12.3 million followers. He's he's our hope this year. Let's let's talk about UK at Eurovision. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Is there hope that we are going to do better than the zero points that UK got last year? I was heartbroken for uk last year they're one of the original like founding countries of this contest i believe they get like an automatic pass to the grand final every year right i mean that that the zero must have crushed that you know the the whole uk it was disappointing i i wouldn't (laughs) say it was entirely unexpected not because of you know james himself i think everything else that happened was just kind of next level. So I think we kind of expected it by the time the voting came in. Uh, Yeah, the UK has had a strange relationship with Eurovision. And I think the press in the UK likes to blame everyone else for our failures. (laughs) And that is not really the whole thing. People say, oh, Europe don't vote for the UK because they don't like the UK. You ask Europeans and they say, we don't hate the UK, we just hate your songs. So that's why we don't vote for you. And that's fair enough. I mean, the thing the thing is with the voting, just because you don't get points from a country doesn't mean that no one voted for you. It just meant that you didn't end up in their top 10 out of 26. So statistically, a lot of the time you're not going to get points or, from a country. That's just how it rolls. So you could be 11th place in every country's voting and you would receive nothing. So I think it's kind of telling people, you know, that's how it works. That's why points haven't come our way. But this year things feel different. There's a bit more buzz around our guy, Sam. He's been out all over Europe touring and promoting the song. He's been busking in Amsterdam, Berlin, um, and the turnout's been great. The response in general has been great. Whether it's enough to win, who knows? Look, Anything can I, I happen. I just want y'all to get on the board this year. Well, so do we. So like, do we. I'll I mean, take it. I think, oh. you know, left-hand side is kind of a is the sort of minimum hope this year. But, you know, we could be pushing for a top 10, top five. We just don't know. I mean, anything can happen in Eurovision. We've seen stranger things happen. Some unexpected winners crop along the way. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't rule out completely, but I'd say my money's still in Sweden. Yeah. Viewers, listeners, Eurovision is great, great fun. Okay, clear your calendar Saturday, May 14th. For the Eurovision Grand Final, if you're here on the East Coast of the U.S., it's going to start at 3 p.m. So you get like a whole afternoon of awesome Eurovision. You can still have your night to yourself here in the States. It's on the Peacock streaming service. It is going to be fantastic. Ross Barber-Smith joining us to give us uh, the lowdown on Eurovision. We really appreciate that. Ross, before you go, can you tell us a little bit about Electric Kiwi? Uh, Yeah, so Electric Kiwi, uh, we provide web design services for bands, musicians. Uh, Do actually have a few links to Eurovision. Uh, as well, a few artists and songwriters along the way, which has been great. Um, but yeah, if you want to find out more about what I do, electrickiwi.co.uk is the best place, or find me on Twitter, Instagram, electrickiwi. So that's electric as in electric, and kiwi is in the bird or the fruit, depending on what you prefer. Uh, but yeah, you'll find me, come say hey, especially if you decide to watch Eurovision and you want to 
you know, share your highs and lows and why did this person not win or whatever. I'm here for that. Thank you so much for your time, Ross. Thanks a lot. Ross Barber Smith, everybody, one of my favorite, favorite people in the industry. I got to have Ross on as just a full on guest uh, in his own right to talk about more than just Eurovision. But the fact that Ross could join us and just give us some great Eurovision related info has only made me even more excited about this song contest. Again, Saturday, May 14th, 3 p.m. If you're on the East Coast here, uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Are, Are you even more excited now, Zach? I mean, did you hear the song he was talking about? I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm I mean, just saying. He, he's with you. He he loves Norway too. Dude, Norway. I'm I'm on Team Norway. <laughs> All right, you, you you picked your country. It sounds like. I mean, I I tend to like the zaniest group too, so I might be leaning in your direction as well. Uh, I always just have a soft spot for the Scandinavian countries in Eurovision. But yeah, we're all going to check it out together. I'm thinking like maybe some kind of like break the business field trip, like virtual. We all got to watch this program together and live. Do a watch party. I'm I'm loving it. Let's, I mean, Ross said that's the best thing about Eurovision over in Europe is hosting a watch party. We got to do something similar. All right. Let us take the quickest of breaks. And then we're going to be joined by our guest this week, Bruce Wozniak. Excited for this conversation. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Uh... Frightened that the Heat's lead is now down to eight. I am. I'm getting a little nervous over here. Getting a little antsy. Uh, but Ryan Corelli here. Happy to have you in our lives. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, Sirius XM 145, all the love to Slam Radio, and on all major podcast platforms. Wherever you're checking us out, either visually or just in an audio medium, we're thrilled to have you. Speaking of people, we're thrilled to have Zach Sloan. Our guest this week is a music manager and promoter for indie artists and the host of Now Hear This Entertainment, a music industry podcast that has interviewed Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Grammy winners, Emmy winners, and more. Our guest also recently launched a media interview tips course to help artists land and succeed in their interview opportunities. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting now-here-this.net and interviewtipscourse.com. We are happy to welcome... Bruce Wozniak on a break the business. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Ryan. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Good to be talking to you again, my friend. It's been entirely too long, and I'm uh, just just thrilled to have you on. I, I hope you like the new digs. I don't think you've been around our show since the the visual component came into play. <laughs> You're correct, and I do love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Well. I mean, a lot of what we do around here, Bruce, is inspired by the work that you do. I mean, now here, this entertainment, we kind of see this as the original indie artist empowerment podcast. Then we've all just kind of been 
copying your thing forever. Uh, but yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, it's been it's it's great. Uh, I mean, because look, when you started this, there weren't a lot of players in this space. You were kind of you know, you saw that there was an opportunity to give artists the information they need to help them move their careers forward on a podcasting platform. And then we all just copied off you. So what inspired you <laughs> to be the innovator here to say that I think the podcasting medium is a great place to reach indie creators? Well, you know, the story goes that when I first started my podcast, I really thought that it was just going to be a marketing tool for my company. And this was February 2014, mind you. So a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm really by my nature a promoter a publicist some people would say and when you're a music manager a music promoter a publicist whatever title you want to use you know you're looking for whatever vehicle you can to promote your clients and so to me it actually wasn't going to be hey i'm going to put my clients on the podcast it was i'm going to do this podcast and somebody out there is going to hear me and say oh this bruce guy sounds like he knows his stuff i should see if I, you know, maybe he can manage and promote me from across the miles because here I am in Tampa and I'm picturing some indie artist who's listening in, you know, insert city here, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Austin, who knows where. And so that was really the focus at first. And I thought, yeah, this is, as you just kind of said, Ryan, you know, borderline uncharted territory. And the nice thing was, and I would argue that to some extent, to some extent, this still applies today, but back then, you could really just kind of make up the rules as you went along. And so that's when I kind of started thinking with my PR hat on and thought, well, wait a second, if I'm going to do an interview style show, like I want this to be something that if my clients were on it, that they would really get some great exposure. It's not just the five to seven minute standard interview that everyone's used to and the same predictable questions. So I want to be able to do a deep dive with these folks. And along the way, inject some of my own expertise but also ask the questions that i know that all those indie artists want answered so that's why i would start asking people things like film and tv placement is a big deal how did you get your song placed on insert tv show here or insert film title here and you know because they're so used to just these quick five to seven minute interviews they'd give you this real great answer of you know yeah, I was really thrilled to get that. It really did a lot for me. It really kind of helped me put me on the map. That was great. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. So then you kind of have to pull Keep it up. Keep going. How did you do that? Did you have someone that did it for you? Did you do it yourself? Did you know the, the music supervisor? You know, how to, and then they kind of understand that, oh, okay, like he actually wants the nuts and bolts. So that's really kind of what my strategy was early on is, like I said, establish some level of expertise, let let the audience know that I do this, uh, but also be helpful, be of service to that indie artist audience. And of course, you know, be entertaining to the people who are just casual music fans or obviously fans of that guest. And I don't want to say I've just wrote it out from there for eight plus years every week because obviously I've changed a little bit along the way. But I think what I really changed the most, Ryan, was responding to what podcasting was becoming and all of a sudden kind of looking at this and and i noticed about myself that i was losing sight of hey you got to make sure you're promoting your own business on this thing so <laughs> tell people you know what you do or make sure you're saying the website things like that uh and you know i've just been really it, it, i can i can tell you i still enjoy it as much today 429 episodes later as i did back then in fact i would say i enjoy it more now because back then, like, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to start a podcast. And so I went to a recording studio and said, hey, I want to do a podcast. And so I was going there every week and getting it recorded and thinking, okay, I've got someone that knows how to record. I've got someone that knows how to edit. I can get this thing out the door and I can have a podcast. And eventually, you know, one thing led to another and it came time where I needed to bring it all in-house and do it myself. So you could argue that it's more enjoyable because you're so hands-on and you're just so, so in the trenches with every facet of it that it really makes it. I mean, you can tell by <laughs> giving way too long an answer here, uh, but, you know, how passionate I am about it. Well, so you're telling me that a lot of the production that you do for your, your own program, which is pretty involved, like you write very long blog entries for every episode. There's a lot of information you provide. You're telling me a lot of that stuff is still just done by you personally? Oh, I'm not saying a lot of it. I'm saying 100% of it. What? Because, <laughs> like, 
my stuff isn't nearly as put together and I outsource a lot of stuff. I got my sister producing because of how much work this is like you're, you're the hardest working man in show business, Bruce. <laughs> Ryan's all of a sudden going to start making some changes. Sorry. Apologies to, to his sister and to Zach and <laughs> any VAs out, out that are going to lose some work now. Are you kidding me? No, I, I'm already Dude. overworked with like all the outsourcing I'm doing. Like I'm trying to find more stuff to outsource. Like, yeah. That it, it's it's but it's a testament to to like the commitment you have to this and and your commitment to creators and to me the latest example of, wait before I even get to that question like Ross you're you're Zach you're you're flabbergasted by this right yeah if you so I've listened to the pod, like you it's an involved thing you have a lot of production that goes into it and I'm just curious how do you prioritize like. The level of production that goes into your podcast, which, by the way, I think is one of the things that makes it really cool, and also managing all the other stuff that you do. Because when I'm hanging out on the website, I can see that you offer a ton of services to your client how, clients. How do you balance all of this to make sure that you're getting everything done that you need to get done? Well, as evidenced by the fact that we're on, you know, at, at what is it, nine forty-one on a weeknight. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm not joking. You know, that's that's part of it. It's saying, you know what? If I need to be up until ten o'clock at night working on the podcast, working on the blog, working on one of my clients, uh, time management is obviously a huge thing. But I think one thing that's really helped me, Zach, is you know, doing it week after week, month after month, year after year. You kind of develop a little bit of a rhythm, so it's almost kind of something that I'm just used to. And once you kind of block that off, whether it's on paper, whether it's on a calendar of some kind, whether it's in your head or whether it's some combina some combination thereof, it's just kind of muscle memory. So, you know, it's, okay, Tuesday's my edit day. Okay, Wednesday is the day it, it publishes. And so I have to contact the guest and let them know it's out. And then I have to pro promote it myself also. The, the nice thing is that, you know, I actually like it better doing it all myself because what I found with when I used to go to the studio was you're at the mercy of their schedule. So it used to be every Thursday at three o'clock. That's when you're recording. And, you know, that becomes a problem because if you have a really good guest who's willing to do an interview and they say, I could do it Tuesday at one, you go, uh, yeah, um, that doesn't work for me. And they're like, you should well, like when I have guests work. always coming at nine twenty on Wednesday nights. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, by bringing it by bringing it in house, I can do. If a guest says, and and so the episode that came out today, and it's so funny that you're talking about the Eurovision Song Contest. The episode that came out today, she is uh, from Belgium. She she wrote and submitted music to the Eurovision Song Contest last year. So just amazing that you were talking about that right before you brought me on. That's She's awesome. in Belgium, so I remember we did the interview on a Saturday. I think it was maybe 11 a.m. here in Florida. Uh, and, I, you know, why she wanted it on a weekend instead of a weekday. I mean, obviously, you can still play with that time difference. But it just makes it so much easier that if a guest is available at 11 a.m. on a Saturday or at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday, you go, OK, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I'll make sure it happens. Um, and so really, you know, even when it comes to something like the editing, you know, you're trusting that the studio is going to get it done in time. And obviously they realize the importance and, and that there is a deadline. But when you're in full control of it, you go, it'll be done. <laughs> it, it's incredible. And it speaks to the power, um, I think, of workflows. And, th you know, even even though uh, a lot of the indie creators aren't podcasters like you, they have other crafts that they engage in. If you what, what I think Bruce's lesson tells us is that. If you can create good workflows for yourself and keep things consistent, have routines where you set aside time to get things done, do good time blocking, you can get a lot more done than you might think. While we're on the subject, Bruce, of interviews, I have to mention uh, the, the new interview tips course that you've created available at interviewtipscourse.com. This is such a cool subject area that I'd love to talk more about because I think, and I'm sure you'd agree or else you wouldn't have built this course, an artist who can give a really good interview, it can open so many doors. Like when I have an artist on this podcast who absolutely crushes it on the interview, not only am I going to have them on again and again because I know they're going to bring great content, but I also you know, endear myself to that person and I'm much more willing to find other opportunities for them. So um, yeah. I think you know, teaching artists how to be good interviews is so valuable 
Is that what interested you in wanting to build a course in this area, just because you know how valuable being a good interview can be for an artist? Yeah, there were so many things that went into it. There were things like what you just described, knowing the value of it. And, and I love that you just touched on the one about if there's a good experience, there's a real good chance that you'll get asked back. And I actually mentioned that in the course because I don't think people understand that you shouldn't approach it as though it's a one-off. You should approach it as I'm starting a relationship with this person yeah. and let's see where it goes. That's one of the things that I love about my Now Hear This Entertainment podcast is that I do have the conversations with guests that are 45, 50, 55 minutes long. And then you add in the time that we talked before we started recording, the time that we talked afterwards. So I'm on, I'm on with that person for more than an hour by the time we hang up. And so all of a sudden that person, and, and getting back to the first thing that we talked about, and I will stick with interview tips course, but the first thing that we talked about, you know, so that relationship building, what this has ended up helping me with in my business is now I can serve my clients better because now I have this amazing Rolodex of people across the country who a client expresses a need. And I have this bizarre mental Rolodex of all the people I've ever interviewed. And I think, oh, well, I got somebody that we can talk to about that. And I put them together. So that's that relationship building. So when you're going in for an interview, you know, you want to look at it as, not what can this person do for me, but you know, where is this going to go? What can I do for this person? What can I bring to their show? What do they offer to me in terms of possible collaborations? And yeah, maybe they'll have me back. But you know, other things that I saw, Ryan, that made me want to launch this course were things that I would do. And, and Zach, this kind of goes back to part of your question is, you know, where do you get the time to do all this? Well, my job does become a lot more difficult preparing for the podcast when you go to an artist's website and it's terrible and there's nothing mm. there. And so Amen. it's turning and I'm thinking, all right, I need to put a course together so that people understand what they can do to make that interview more advantageous to themselves in such a way that again, like we just said, the host will have a better experience. And so you're, you're really gonna turn the host off if you're making them do all the heavy lifting. And the better your website is, the more concise it is, the more complete it is. I thought this is something that people need to know about. And, and you know, I did something at the start of this interview that's horrible. This is one of the things I say in the interview tips course. Don't give this really long answer that goes on and on and on. But, you know, Ryan, you and I know each other. I feel comfortable doing it. I am very excited to be here. And, you know, my wife will still say to this day, Bruce is so passionate, he just lights up when he talks about his podcast. And I think that extends to podcasting in general. I, I just love the medium. And so with the interview tips course, you know, I've got so much experience over the years. I worked for a National Hockey League team for 10 seasons. I worked in the Olympic movement for 10 and a half years. I've had all these clients under the Now Hear This umbrella that have placed into interviews. And I see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the way that it can benefit you. Because what I see, Ryan, is... Artists who know that they should be getting interviews, but they just think that it's kind of, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And then they come away from it being disappointed that they didn't see any results. So that's where I really wanted to drill down and say, okay, I need to help people better prepare so that when the interview's over, they do see more followers on social media. They do see more downloads of their music. If it's an author, you know, sell some more books, get some speaking engagements, whatever the case is, an artist that all of a sudden gets a booking because of an interview that they did. I know that I've gotten contacted by people and I've, and I'll say, where did, you know, how did you find out about me? Oh, I heard you interviewed on such and such a show. And so that's the value that it can bring. And so I thought I need to put a course together and just share all this knowledge, all this experience I have so that people can benefit from it in a way that they'll have good experiences. They'll get asked back. They'll enjoy doing interviews. They'll want to, I, I have one module in my course that gives you, I think it's something like 15 different sources of how to find more interviews. Yeah. I, I, that's, that, that seems like a, a perfect part of it. And for me, I'm with you on one of the most important things an artist can do to be a good interview is to create a web presence where the person interviewing you doesn't have to burn a lot of calories to find the interesting information about you to prepare for that interview. If you can make the interview prep experience a 10 or 15 minute project as opposed to a hour project, you're already well on your way to a good interview. But once the interview starts, once you get in there and you're starting to get the questions from the interview, can you share with us one or two tips that an artist can do in the moment to be engaging and effective in that interview? Well, you know, it's 
a lot of it is very common sense. And I think what happens is they get nervous or they get too caught up in the question and they forget some of the things that you're that you're asking me to share. So, you know, if you're there to promote a new single and all of a sudden you get caught up in this big long story about, well, you know, I was originally from Kansas and then I just decided one day I'm gonna up and move to Nashville and I'm gonna give this a try. And my parents were really supportive and that was great. But you know, Nashville, it's like, come on, you know, we're here to promote a single. Like that story is is good for another time. But you know, you really have to be mindful of what you're trying to accomplish. As much as I said, you don't go into it, what can this person do for me? You do have to think, okay, what do I really want to hit? And and it can't be a whole laundry list. You can't overwhelm people with, hey, and I just want to ask your listeners, you know, please feel free to support me. I've got PayPal, I've got Venmo, I've got Cash App, and make sure you follow me on TikTok and they give all their socials. It's like, you're going to hit people with so many, they're, they're not going to do any of them. So if you've got a new a new song coming out and that's the big thing, that's what you're really promoting, then you're going on there and you're talking about the song. You're making sure you say the name of it. You talk a little bit about what the song is about, you know, when you wrote it, why you wrote it, if you co-wrote it or did it yourself. People are fascinated by that kind of stuff. So you do have to give some some meat and potatoes that people do want to sink their teeth into, but not your whole life story about, you know, winning some contest when you were in second grade and, you know, your parents thought that it was just a fluke and they put you into lessons. It's like, who cares? You know, promote <laughs> that single. Uh, and then, you know, some other tips would be things like picking out, you know, where is the one destination where you want people to go, right? So so now you've talked about the song, but now you got to think, okay, where do I really want people to go? Do I want them to go to Apple Music and purchase a download of it? Do I want Spotify? Do I want maybe some people will actually direct people to their website. Some artists will actually tell audiences, my music is available on my website. And that's fine if that's where you want to go. But you can't say this this blanket answer that I hear a lot of times, which is my music is available everywhere. Well, number one, I don't know what that means. And number <laughs> two, I think you mean that it's available on all major digital platforms. But even still, I think that you probably want people to go to Apple Music or to Spotify. And if I'm wrong, that's what they need to do better is to clarify. You know, there, there's a thing, uh, because I work with authors also, you know, there's a real big push when you're doing a book launch that you really want to drive pre-sales at Amazon and get reviews and that's it. So you don't want to start talking about Barnes and Noble. You don't want to start talking about Goodreads. You don't want to start and all these other websites. It's, hey, look, the strategy is we're sending everyone to Amazon. And then a third tip that I'll give out is if you're trying to get bookings, right? So all of a sudden you make sure that one of your talking points is I'm really excited about this live show that I'm doing these days. Boom, boom, boom. Hit some highlights. And, you know, I, I mentioned talking points because that's one of the things that you can really do that will help the interview go where you want it to. When I ask people who are coming on Now Hear This Entertainment, please send me talking points so I know what you want to promote and talk about. And I have people that write me back and say, anything is fair game. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk about this Miami Heat series because I'm a fan of them too, but I don't think that's what you want to talk about. So, you know, anything is fair game is not well, a good I, answer. I'm actually pretty sure it is what I want to talk about. Right. But, but you know, when I have people that say anything is fair game, I yeah. think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to let you take a second stab at that answer <laughs> and maybe kind of hold your hand a little bit because again, you know, another tip that I give out in the course is knowing what the show is. I'm talking about the format. I'm talking about the length. I'm talking about all these different details. So you don't go into it and get caught off guard and say, wow, I didn't know this thing was only six minutes long or wow, I didn't know there was three hosts. So, you know, if you find out that the interview is in the case of now hear this entertainment 45 minutes long, and I'm asking you for talking points, you want to send me 10 or 12. You don't want to send me two. Right. Well, so a lot of what you're saying, which as somebody who interviews guests, like I can concur with all this is make the host's life easier. That is a, a big step. If there are things you want covered, let the host know because it makes their prep easier and it allows for an interview where you can uh, be more focused and effective. And I, I do absolutely agree with your uh, advice about having a call to action and keeping it concise. But I also feel slightly called out, Zach, because... What do we say coming out of commercial break here? Be sure to check out Break the Business on 
YouTube Live, Twitch, Twitter, SiriusXM 145, all major podcasts. I'm like, I absolutely do what Bruce says I shouldn't do, man. Yeah, but Ryan, you We're have all the learning. Of video. You have the benefit of video. So, you know, you've got a screen that you can put up there and people are going to look that over and go, okay, good. He is on insert platform here. Um, you know, I know there's some hardcore YouTubers out there would say, no, the tip you gave Bruce still has to apply to video. I, I would respectfully disagree because I think that's where you do have a, a, a blank canvas, literally, and you've got people that can press pause and look at it and see the whole thing. My thing with my podcast is, for whatever reason, I've just always convinced myself, and I don't want to say convinced myself, maybe the better way to say it is, I always go with the mindset that people are listening in their cars to now hear this entertainment. So, you know, that's why I love that I'm always, 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 always saying the website, and it's just four short letters. It's really difficult to forget nhte.net. They're listening to a program called Now Hear This Entertainment, and it's the acronym for it. So the more I say nhte.net, the easier it's going to be for them to remember. They're not going to worry about, I can't write it down because I'm driving, or when I get to work, oh my gosh, what was that big, long, messy URL that he said? And so, you know, in your case, if if I was doing video for mine, I would have all my socials underneath nhte.net so that people can choose and say, oh, great, I want to follow him on Instagram. Good, I'd love to have you follow me on there. I just can't do that in an audio-only podcast because it's I'd be contradicting myself. If I give an artist the advice of don't go, in inter, in a, don't go into an interview and give this long laundry list and then I'm doing it, well, then I'm not practicing what I preach. Yeah, and... I think there's I think the reason why we see this a lot with artists is because there's this feeling that artists have when it comes to an interview that, you know, oh, I'm being interviewed and that's inherently a passive experience. Right. I'm going somewhere and they're asking me questions. So why am I the one who has to prepare? It's the interviewer's job to prepare. And that loses sight of what the goal is for the artist of the interview, which is making it a good interview. And if you can play an active role in making that happen by helping the interviewer out, supplying the interviewer with information about what they can do to what they can ask you about to get great answers, that's only going to help you. And lest you think that even the big stars don't do this, when you go on Jimmy Fallon or James Corden or any of these late night shows before that interview happens, uh, either the artist or their assistant or somebody is talking with the booker on that show and saying, hey, what can I talk about? What are the topics? Uh, and, and you know, so like all those questions where you're like, man, that's hilarious. Or, wow, how did Stephen Colbert ask the perfect question that led to this amazing story that the guest told about their dog when they were 12? It's because they already knew about the dog story because they prepped it beforehand. And so they, they, all the host had to do was tee up the guest with that uh, the, with the dog story question. But, you know, when you mentioned about it being a passive experience, I want to make clear that the interview tips course that I have is for anybody. It's not just for artists. It's for authors. It's for entrepreneurs. It's for inventors. It's for authors. The list goes on. But my point is that when you talk about it being passive, you know, one of the things that has worked against us as a result of the pandemic is people have gotten so used to just sitting at home and doing all their interviews from there that my fear has become, and so I talk about this in the course, my fear has become that it's too easy to get lazy. And you've, if it's not on video, you've got someone else in the room with you, or you've kind of got the phone here, you know, and you're doing something else while you're talking to the person. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, I've done 429 episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment, and I've heard people starting their car during the interview. I've, I've heard things that have made me have my email say, when you call in, please call from someplace quiet, not outdoors, not while driving. And I have this obnoxious list of no dogs barking, no babies crying, no music in the background, no TV on, no doorbell ringing, things like that. And I think that's kind of one of the things that have come from the pandemic is people have realized that, oh, I can get all kinds of exposure just sitting at home doing interviews. Yes, you can. But the way to not do that is sitting there being distracted, having other people around you. You know, you're drinking something where the ice is clanging in the glass. I, I talk about a lot of these things in the interview tips course, because those are the things, as you said before, Ryan, that will not get you asked back. Yeah. And speaking of easy websites to remember, if you want to find out where this interview tips course of our guest Bruce Warzniak's is, uh, you can go to interviewtipscourse.com. How about that? You can definitely uh, stumble upon that one quite easily. And I can assure you, I've known Bruce a long time, a big fan of his work. Anything that Bruce is putting together 
is going to be really high quality and great for indie creators. Bruce, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all that you do, all that you have done for creators, being an inner an innovator in this space of uh, providing education and inspiration to the uh, creators out there. Much, much appreciated. Before we let you go, sir, yep. one last question, our final question that we ask all the guests that come on this program. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes, I do. And I'm glad that you asked that question because, you know, I think what happens is indie creators are so close. We, we talked about myself and me doing everything all, all on my own. Granted, I'm a little bit different because I am a promoter. I'm just kind of cut from that publicist cloth. But I think when you're an indie creator, you're so close to what you do that it just seems like kind of behind the scenes type stuff that no one's interested in. And when I work with artists, you know, the artists will get to the point where I'll talk about, you know, us putting something out and they'll say, well, I don't really have anything going on. And I say, yeah, you do. What do I have going on? Let me type it up and send it over to you. And so, you know, my advice here is you really need to kind of take a step back and look at the things that you're doing and say, okay, you know what? I think people might be interested in this after all. And of course, you know, in this day and age of social media, you'll find out really fast if people are interested in it or not. And let's face it, nowadays, people are interested in just about anything that gets put on social media, as long as it looks pretty decent. Uh, so, you know, what I'm suggesting is behind the scenes stuff is huge. The routine things that you think are just routine tasks in your day, people are actually interested in that. And if you can almost do it in a teaching kind of how-to explainer kind of approach, people will eat that up. So, you know, don't shoot yourself in the foot by going silent from the web, whether that's your website, whether that's social media, whatever, because you think you have nothing going on. If you need to, you know, ask someone who's very close to you and watches what you do and say, you know, what am I doing that that's really newsworthy? Um, I always, when I speak at podcasting events, I do a, a presentation called 20 plus ways to promote your podcast. And I tell people go and follow my Instagram. It's at now hear this entertainment. And I say, I'm not here. You're not going to change my Instagram numbers. If I'm really here, just trying to, you know, get the room to all follow me. I'm suggesting go there and look and see what I post because my show only comes out one day a week. And yet I post seven days a week on that at now hear this entertainment Instagram account. And I think it helps people to see. And I tell them, steal my ideas, you know, by all means. I, I, I love, it means so much to me, Ryan, the compliment that you gave me, because I do always have my head down and I'm just going at it and working and I'm not out there looking for applause. I'm not looking for people to, to say kind things like you just did. So thank you. That really, really means a lot to me. But my point is that, you know, I think if people understand that that's just who I am, that I like to help people, They'll say, I'm going to follow him on Instagram because I do want some better ideas because I am stuck or I am going to subscribe to his newsletter because I know I'm supposed to do one, but I don't know what to put in it. And I think they put too much pressure on themselves because they think it has to be more than it actually has to be. As long as you're being present, people aren't going to criticize you that, well, you put up a picture and your caption was only two sentences long. If that's all you can come up with, it's better than not putting anything up at all. If you're putting out a newsletter one day a week like I am, trust me, I would rather get that newsletter one day a week and have it mean a lot more because you're not spamming me and you're not hitting me seven days a week or more than once a day. So it's just really about being present and, and looking for those things that might be right at the end of your nose that some people are going to be interested in and aren't going to know about until you tell them. That's great insight. Bruce, thank you so much for your time this week. I, I learned so much from talking to you. This has been a real joy. Thank you, Ryan. I really enjoyed it. And and again, your words mean a lot to me. So, so thank you for having said that. Bruce Wozniak, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. What... What a thrill to get to chat with him. I mean, he, he's, he's, the, he's the innovator. He's the OG of this line of work. And, uh, you know, I, I just so many great pieces of advice, so many great insights. And even, even now, when we've done Break the Business for as long as we have, so many episodes, he still has a great topic for us to talk about in an interview, which is great interview tips, how to be a better interviewee as a creator. And his tips were gold. I gotta tell you, the idea of you better be do your homework as an interviewee. Um, gold. I've walked into an interview at a radio station before where the DJ minutes before I went on air said, "I forgot you were coming. I don't know who you are." <laughs> and 
And I literally, I got this tip from uh, Ariel Hyatt. I had, I had sort of had an inkling that might happen, and I put three facts about me on a business card, and I put three questions to write to ask. I was like, "Here you go," and I just slid it to him, and he literally said, "Oh, I see you're this, this, this. Let me ask you about this." And because I was prepared going into the interview, it was not a total train wreck. <laughs> wow! I mean, even more great interview tips. That's a great one, Zach. I like that one. That's tremendous. I feel like Bruce is going to put that in his course if he hasn't already. Uh, my thanks to you, Zach. Our thanks to Bruce Warzniak, and our thanks to producer Lauren, who has now updated us that the Heat did win 119 to 103, beat the Sixers. All right. Nothing but smiles here as we close out. Thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.